This is Dalio's Principles, a philosophical examination. The unofficial podcast companion for Ray Dalio's book, Principles. This podcast will deeply explore the book and principles. The podcast is hosted by Micah Bays and John Sextro. Micah has a PhD in philosophy and has taught numerous college philosophy courses, including The Meaning of Life, Ethics, and Reason and Argument. John shares his perspective from years of experience trying to live out Ray's principles in his life and work. And you can follow us on Twitter. Micah is at Micah Bays, all one word. And I am at John Sextro, all one word. And now, this week's episode. I'm Micah Bays. I'm John Sextro, and we're back again with Dalio's Principles, a philosophical examination. In this episode of the podcast, we're going to be continuing our discussion of the set of principles that exist within um, what we're calling Principle 2, or what is called Principle 2 in the book, which is use the five-step process to get what you want out of life. That's Principle 2. And we're moving on now to 2.3 within that set. And this one, Micah says, diagnose problems to get at their root causes. And I know you have some things to say about root causes, and we'll, we'll get to that momentarily. There's a, uh, so there are three sub-principles that exist here, and we're going to cover them one by one. The first one that we'll cover in this episode is, says, focus on the what is, parenthetically, before deciding what to do about it. So we, uh, we read through this one again recently, and, and we have some thoughts to share. I think what I've noticed in my experience trying to live out these principles, Micah, is that, is that anytime I'm in the world and, and run into some sort of a problem, it seems that the people around me, and, and me previously as well, would always want to jump directly into problem solving uh, immediately. First thing they wanted to do is, okay, let's fix whatever it is that was going on. Whatever pain they were feeling, uh, whatever the problem was that had popped up, they just go directly to, what can we do to fix it? Yeah, what's the solution? Forget about uh, any sort of further analysis. It was just deep into, uh, you know, just immediately into, let's fix it. Put a Band-Aid on it. Make, make the problem somehow go away. And I think the advice that we're getting here from Dalio is to, is to, I almost fear saying slow down because I don't think you necessarily want to want to slow down in the way of slowing everything down. But I think the, the, I think the advice here is to be a little more methodical and take your, take the right amount of time to figure out what really is the problem. Where really is the problem? Don't just hurry up and attack whatever it is you superficially see is going on or see is the problem. Take that little bit of extra care, that little bit of extra time to talk about it some, to, to analyze it some, to think about it some, and figure out, okay, is this, is, is what I experienced really the problem, or is there something here that's, that's a deeper problem, uh, a root cause sort of problem, and just spend that time thinking that through. We talked a lot about the problem itself when we were talking about principle 2.2 or sub-principle 2.2 that said identify and don't tolerate problems. We talked a lot about problem identification, and I started off this, this conversation 
mentioning that we're really talking more about uh, what's what's the cause of the problem. Uh, but I mentioned I started talking again about the problems themselves. So again, it's when you experience that problem, don't stop at just, I had a problem. You have to start thinking more deeply about what was the actual cause? Because what you may see at the very superficial level of that problem, you may see the problem has an immediate cause and think that's the thing that you want to solve. And what the guidance here from Dalio is, is to look deeper at a root cause of that problem and not just be satisfied always with, or have that inclination maybe to try to attack that, that high level or that superficial level or that first level cause that is tied to the problem that you're experiencing. What did you think, Micah, about that guidance to uh, focus on what is before deciding really what to do about it? Finding the truth. There's a lot of truth in, in uh, the, the search for truth and philosophy, right? So how does that sit with you? Um, yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like good advice, um, you know, because if as far as, you know, looking for the root cause, looking for not just the thing which is most immediate, right, that the most recent thing or the thing closest to the problem, don't don't settle for that as the answer as to what the real problem or what the real cause of the problem is. If there's actually an underlying issue, if there's, you might say, more real cause or the true cause of the problem, if you address that proximate cause, as Dalio calls it, you might fix that, but you're still going to end up having the real problem again because you haven't fixed the real cause. Yeah, so we should probably just go ahead and, and jump into talking about that real cause or that root cause. And Mike, I know you have some thoughts on what exactly is meant by root cause, but I think this is sort of the crux of the real heart of the overall guidance here with this sub principle 2.3. The sub principle 2.3 is to really focus on, on the root cause. And it, like you mentioned, and, and like the guidance is with, with uh, the, the principle, the A principle sub principle in here that there's, you know, there's, there's maybe something deeper and it's, it's a lot, it, it can be a lot similar or akin to when you go to a doctor and you're, you know, you're, I have some sort of problem. You have a sore throat. Well, that might be, that might be a, a symptom that has a deeper problem that has a deeper root cause that's causing that sore throat. But it could also be that it, it's just a sore throat. So how do you, you know, how do you sort of peel that apart, do the, in medical terms, diagnosis, which is something else we'll talk more about here on the podcast later, but peel that apart so you can try to figure out what the real root cause is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to start off with an example just from this week. I was doing uh, my ice. So this is a simple example, um, you know, not something you maybe deal with like in the business context, but uh, so my ice maker at home, uh, I was finding all of the ice would be frozen together, right? It would make the ice... Make the ice cubes? Yes, it would make the ice cubes. But then they would get frozen together. And so in looking at it, I saw... Um, right. So the problem is I can't... You might say I can't use my ice, right? Because this giant cube of ice won't fit into my cup, right? So that's the problem. I, I'm stuck with warm soda or something. Um, 
And so I could say, well, the cause is that the cubes are all freezing together. If I were to stay with that, one, I'm not sure quite what the fix would be. I mean, if I were to say, well, ice cubes don't all freeze together, you know, they're not going to listen to me. Um, but what I saw was there was water that was dripping down from the ice maker um, to my bucket. And so then that water that was dripping down, would get, it would then freeze. And that's what froze all the ice cubes together. And so then, of course, the question is, well, what's causing the water to drip down? Because normally it doesn't do that. I can't say I ever actually discovered what really went wrong, what was the cause was. I went to the real root cause and I just replaced the ice maker. It was like 40 bucks and you know I'm not going to spend three hours trying to fix you know, something for a $40 fix. But anyways, that's you know, an example where you have, okay, the root cause, you have a bad ice maker, I guess is what we'll say here. And it was causing other problems, you know, causing the water leak. And then that was causing ice cubes to freeze. And that resulted in my problem of warm soda. So then the question is, well, how do we identify proximate causes and root causes? You might say, how do we know when we hit the root cause? One thing I will say, I don't think it's as clear as maybe it comes across in the book. Yeah, because Dalio gives us uh, some advice and an example. He says, proximate causes are often verbs and root causes are often adjectives, I think is how he puts it, right? Right. Yeah. So you know, he gives us an example where, you know, Someone missed the train, and Ray's going to say, in this case, the proximate cause is described this way, that I missed the train because I didn't check the schedule, right? So that was kind of the verb, right? Didn't check the schedule. He's going to say, but that wasn't the root cause. The root cause in this case was the person didn't check the train schedule because they are forgetful, right? The forgetful, right? It's an adjective. It's describing the person. That's the root cause. It seems like Ray thinks that most of the time, root causes come down to issues of character. There's some flaw with some person, and don't by character, I don't necessarily mean moral character. Um, right, being forgetful is presumably not a moral issue. It just means right some aspect of the person, or a person, or maybe multiple people. Your um, skills and your abilities. Right. Yeah. Most of the time, he's going to say root causes are going to be found at that level. Do you agree with that? Uh, I don't have enough data for that. <laughs> um, a good philosopher's answer there. Yeah. Partly because, you know, I'm thinking about at the, you know, in, in the business context, frequently processes can be, I would think, a root cause. Now, sometimes we have certain processes in order because there are flaws of individuals like poor communication and so on. Could be these people don't communicate well with each other. So we're going to institute a process that kind of forces them to do it or something. Which seems like a, a band-aid a little bit. You're not getting really at the root cause of, of that issue then because you're just putting a band-aid on it by saying you guys are bad at communication rather than fixing the fact that you're, you do a poor job of communication. I'm going to implement a process. To force you to communicate, right? <laughs> right. Which is actually going to go along with, I'm going to offer a suggestion here as to better think about proximate causes and root causes, or at least which cause you should focus on fixing. Okay. Um, I'll offer that here in a little bit. But for now, I think that's just a helpful way to understand Ray's view on these things. As far as just understand for Ray, most of the time when he thinks of a root cause, he's thinking of it, it's going to come down to some aspect of a person some trait they have, some skill or lack of skill they have, 
some personality trait, perhaps, right? Like being forgetful, I guess that's a personality trait. Yeah. <laughs> or a skill or, or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you took it. I think th- there's a possibility to take it or to try to analyze that even further. Right. So that's, so that's as far as do I agree with this claim that most times root causes are described with adjectives? My biggest problem there is going to be, besides lack of data, is this idea of a root cause is problematic to me. I think uh, we used this word pedantry last time, um, right? Uh, I can be a bit pedantic and focus on really nitpicky things, but I, I want to say this time it's going to be pedantry with a point. Good. That's fine. You can be as pedantic as you want with me. Okay, good. Um, hopefully we don't lose all the listeners. I'm used to it. Yeah, but that's the truth. <laughs> My concern, you know, there wasn't a definition of root cause, right? He didn't say, you know, here's the definition of a root cause. He just said, here's how you identify one, which is not the same thing. Without a definition, how do we know, right? And since, you know, he says most of the time it's adjectival, right? He recognizes it's not always going to be a character issue that is um, the root cause. How do we know when a root cause is the result of a person's character? Again, not necessarily moral character, traits, and so on. Um, and how do we know when it's something else? Um, so let me just... So that's an initial concern. Now, my concern with the idea of a root cause, when I think of a root cause, I think of like the base cause or the thing which maybe doesn't have a cause of it. The way you know we typically identify causes, we start asking why questions, right? So... In the case of my ice maker, I had this problem. Ice ma- the ice the ice was all freezing together. Well, why is it all freezing together? And that's indicating I'm looking for the cause or a cause. And well, water's dripping from the ice maker. Why is water dripping from the ice maker? You know, um, there's I didn't really find out why because <laughs> I'm not that good of a you know maintenance person. Um, but then we could ask a further why question. Right. Or let's take the train example. I think this might be better. He missed the train. Well, why did he miss the train? Because he didn't check the train schedule. So that's a cause. Why did he miss the train schedule? Because he's forgetful. So Ray's saying that's the root cause, that characteristic of the person. Right. I can ask now, well, why is that person forgetful? Yeah. That's going to be a much tougher question. Presumably, you might say something that you could say, well, something about that person's psychology. Okay, that's a cause then, right? Maybe the person's psychology is a cause of it. Well, what do you well, mean by their psychology? The way their just the way their brain works, right? Some people are seemingly, their, mental, their mental state, their mental condition, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Yeah, and I'm no neuroscientist, so I don't know exactly how all that works together. But right, you would then ask, well, why is their psychology the way it is? Well, because of their neurons and how they're all organized together. And so anyways, you could just go on to this not quite infinite regress of continually asking why, and there's some cause. Well, where in there, right, given that I can continue to ask whys, wouldn't those further back responses be even better candidates for being a root cause? Um, And, um, you know, the answer I think to that is maybe um, the thing that I would, I think, the thing that I would ask from a practical perspective is what could I do about it? Or, or is there, is there a lever, uh, a knob for me to, that would allow me to adjust any of that a a way for me to grab onto it and say, I can make an improvement here. All right. So I kind of played you into my hands apparently. Uh (laughs) So he set a trap. Yeah. So my suggestion is 
to think in terms of the most efficient improvement one can make on the basis of a cost-benefit analysis, right? Of the various causes, which one, given the amount of effort and time and money or whatever that would need to be put into fixing that cause, would have the biggest payoff? So it's kind of like what I do with the ice maker. You know, I could have spent more time trying to figure out, well, why is the ice maker leaking? Yeah, you might have dismantled uh, sort of a unit, an ice maker unit, but mm. to but to what end? Because you're not, you you said yourself, you're not a mechanic, right? You're already, not an ice maker mechanic, right? I'd already put at least an hour into it, and you know, am I going to spend several hours? And the nice thing about a ice maker replacement, it takes about five ten minutes because I've done this before. Um, they keep breaking, and so I did a cost benefit analysis, benefit analysis, and said, look. For 40 bucks, I can have this problem fixed in 10 minutes and waiting two days for Amazon to deliver it. So I'm going to fix it at that level. Likewise, with you know the train issue, notice you might be tempted to fix the, um, the fact that you forgot or you know the fact that you didn't look at the train schedule. And you could say, well, I'm just going to set a reminder for myself to look at my train schedule. So you could do that. Right. But if the reality is you are a forgetful person, if you just set a reminder for the train schedule, notice that you're only going to help yourself, right? You're only going to improve your situation in cases of missed trains, right? You're no longer missed trains. In cases where you can count on that alarm that you set or that reminder that you set to to remind you. So are you going to, what are you going to run around setting reminders for all the things you have to remember all the time? Right. Well, and so, you know, if you're looking at just that proximate cause of, I didn't look at the train schedule. Presumably the only cause you would address is your lack of looking at train schedules. If a further cause is that you're a forgetful person, if you address that forgetfulness issue or cause, if you fix that, that's going to help you in all sorts of scenarios. If there's a fairly easy way or not too burdensome way to fix your forgetfulness, um, or to address your forgetfulness in general, as opposed to just that specific case, that would be the cause you'd want to focus on. It seems like a reasonable benefit, given whatever, given the cost that you'll have to exert to make an improvement there. Right. You believe that a you have an ability to impact that care that part of your character, or the thing that is the the source of this cause. Uh, and then you believe that it's going to be, it's going to benefit you in a way that will make it worthwhile. Right. Yeah. I mean, I do have questions about what does it look like to address or fix someone's forgetfulness? You know, as you pointed out, right, certainly there are workarounds, right? I, I think I've talked before about how I'm kind of forgetful and I'll put my keys in the fridge with my lunch so I don't forget to right. take my lunch to work. Um, so there are workarounds. I'm, I'm curious what Ray would say in this case. Like, what would he see as the fix for forgetfulness? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it would be nice if there was a pill you could take, and automatically, I am no longer a forgetful person. And maybe that gets into uh, that deeper level thinking about what is what is forgetfulness, and and maybe maybe you're maybe you need some sort of help to figure figure that out and get back to what is it? What is the thing that's causing the forgetfulness? Maybe there is a pill. I'm not saying that there's a pill for forgetfulness. <laughs> Uh, but maybe there's some practice, you know, way to practice and to improve yourself in that way. We operate the podcast on the value for value model. 
We're entirely listener supported. If you enjoy the podcast and find value in the information and entertainment you receive, visit our website at daliosprinciples.fireside.fm slash donate. You can also help us grow by promoting us on social media. So get out there and tell all of your friends about the podcast and help us spread the word. And now back to the show. Um, all of these are, I mean, in oftentimes it's easier to find the cause than it is to figure out how to fix the cause that that might take you much longer. Right. I was thinking about your ice maker example too, Micah, and uh, considering I know nothing about, I'm not mechanical at all. I am not a, a, a mechanically minded person or a, a fixer of a person, but imagine that there is a root cause that's there. That's has nothing at all to do with the, with the, the ice maker itself. It could possibly be that it's like your water pressure in your house. Maybe the water pressure is wearing out some mechanism within the ice maker that limits that flow of water. And so maybe by you replacing this ice maker, you're actually just sort of band-aiding that problem and you haven't gotten to the actual root cause, which is the amount of water pressure in the pipes. I don't know. Right. And you know, that actually popped in my head when I was describing it about how, you know, this is the third time I think I've replaced the ice maker, but for different problems. But nonetheless, you know, those different problems or symptoms could be caused by the same thing, perhaps. I um, think I think this just uh further articulates a bit of the difficulty with getting at that root cause or that main source of of what the problem is. Uh I I've I've walked through this, you know, experientially done this quite a bit with uh with people and with groups of people in my career to always, you know, go through that series of asking people why. And uh one of the things that I that I discovered along the way is that oftentimes you're you're limited um you 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 find you find a point where people feel sort of exasperated by the by the the additional whys that are asked. And that, that seems oddly correlated to with actually getting to whatever the root cause is. Like when someone says, you know, why are you, I, I, I forget what my example of it was, but let's use the, the train example. It's like, well, is it that you're just, you know, forgetful? And they're like, yes, probably. And you're <laughs> like, I'm tired of answering these why questions. That's, that's probably it. It almost feels like they're, uh, finally letting the barrier down a little bit in that questioning and saying, yes, I, I, I realize that there's something that I could be doing differently, or that is something about me that's sort of holding me back. And I think that that, you know, that sort of starts to extend into the third, uh, the third sub principle that's in here, which is, which says recognizing, or I'm sorry, recognize that knowing what someone including you is like will tell you what you can expect from them. Um, so this was where I was getting, getting to this point about your ego sort of getting in the way. And the fact that, you know, you're, you're have, you have a problem being we as people for whatever reason seem to have this, this problem, this ego that I guess is a, how do you feel about ego? Do you feel like ego is a real thing. It's sort of a Freudian concept. And there, there seems to be this ego anyway, Micah, that sort of 
gets in our way and limits us from embracing what we where our weaknesses are or where, the areas where we can improve. Right. Yeah. I mean, ego is at least in a Freudian sense. I'm going to stay away from just because I'm no expert there. But uh, a similar concept, you know, just pride, right? Wanting to think well of yourself or thinking well of yourself or thinking overly well. <laughs> um, I certainly think that is an issue, right? I mean, I know even with myself, you know, it's in part, you know, I don't want to admit mistakes because, you know, I'd like to think I'm really good at everything. Um, but yeah, I'm not. I mean, it's unreasonable to have that expectation. It's unreasonable for you to have that expectation of yourself, even though maybe we would want to be that way. Mm-hmm. And it would be entirely unreasonable for other people to to have that expectation. What I've experienced in terms of, like, I'm I'm very good. I've gotten very good over twenty plus years of of being in in professional jobs and that sort of thing of of living of of facing up to areas and things where. I'm not the best at them or that I have weaknesses in them. And I'm pretty good at identifying those for myself. I still have blind spots. There are still things that I, I don't see that are true about me. What Ray points out is if you really want to be successful, A, it's important for you to be able to do that, to really introspect on yourself and look at, look at yourself in the eye, look in the mirror, look at that man in the mirror or woman in the mirror or whoever in the mirror and say, you know, here are the things that I think are wrong with me and how I could improve. But then additionally, to have sort of a cadre of people, a group of people around you, your peers, your coworkers, who you can also trust to look at you and be honest with you about the person that you are, about the weaknesses and the strengths that you have, and who are willing to offer you advice, guidance, feedback, suggestions, etc. on those things. Now, to me, that is has has been the most difficult portion of this particular sub principle is finding people and being able to finding those people finding people that are willing to to be that level of honest with you and transparent with you and then when you find them and then get them around you to maintain that to some degree you know without people moving on and you moving around and and all of those things that part has just been for me incredibly difficult is to convince people even after like spending significant amount of time building trust and consistently and frequently telling them to please be honest with me tell me where i where my weaknesses are help me find my strengths all of those things there's something about us sort of that innately i feel like keep prevents us from from having that level of honest interaction with one another Right. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, certainly one of the reasons, you know, besides pride, as far as wanting to think you're good at everything, you know, one of the other difficulties in being honest about your mistakes is you're worried that people are going to take advantage of, you know, your weaknesses, right? Or they're, you know, if you don't do something well at work, you might think, oh, other people are going to be upset at me or they might want to move me from my current position to something else or have me get fired or whatever. But as you pointed out, you know, if you are, around a group of people that are willing to be honest with each other and accepting of each other's mistakes, that can be really beneficial for being honest about your mistakes or being honest about your weaknesses. So have you found anything that any tips or techniques that you found that work for helping others 
understand that you really do want them to be honest with you about your mistakes? Is there anything that you try? There's only, there's only one thing that sort of is the, is the go-to for me almost without fail sets us, sets the bar with the people that I'm, I'm working with or working for peers, coworkers, et cetera. And that is to in, in a public, in a public manner, uh, with a with the group of people, when when there's when something has occurred where I'm at fault for it, I made a mistake, uh, maybe I was forgetful or whatever the thing is, uh, to to use that as as an opportunity to point out to everyone, oh, I made a mistake, I failed in whatever this particular thing was, and then and then to to embrace that and the moment with the people that I'm with and to say, please help me in the future, not fail in this way. Are there, is there advice? You don't have to give it to me now. Do you have suggestions? We've all seen this together. I'm, I'm admitting to it or I'm copying to it. If you will, right here in front of everyone, you've seen it. I saw it. I, I admit it to it. Now, based on the fact that we all witnessed this at the same time, spend some time thinking for me about what I could do in the future to do this better. And then given the fact that this was in sort of a public setting um, that I, you know, sort of burying my soul, if you will, you know, standing there sort of naked in front of everybody and saying, here I am, you know, I, I'm not perfect. I made a mistake and I'm not trying to hide it. And I'm just being really honest about it. I'm embracing it. And then I'm asking you, I want your help. And in that moment, it, it, that's, the, that's the only cases where I've seen where I can really move people along the spectrum from, you know, just being nice to me if I make a mistake and really turn that into being kind to me and the kindness and being helping me find ways to get better, to improve, to deal with my, um, with my, with my own failings and my weaknesses and my areas for improvement. That's one, that's just one, one. way. I think, it, yeah. I think it, it, I think that's just like, ultimately I think what that equates to is building trust with people, which we know is very important. And that's just like one very concrete example of how you can really quickly build up a significant amount of trust with people is by sort of being vulnerable in front of them in a moment like that. Right. And I think too, it probably helps that, you are, I assume you didn't blow up in that situation to anybody, right? You didn't yell at anyone and say, well, no, it's your fault. It's not me. Right. And so them seeing you, um, I guess, properly handle that situation and not get upset at others. Um, but just take the, you know, just be honest with yourself and, you know, listen to possible advice. I think in future cases, it seems like that's going to say, indicate to them that, look, Oh, if I do see a flaw with, you know, John, if I mention it to him, he's not likely to blow up at me, right? He he seems like he's the kind of person who would listen to my concern and, you know, try to take it to heart. Whereas I think a lot of times the hesitancy to mention someone else's flaws or be honest with them about what you see as their weaknesses is you don't know how they're going to respond. And so you've kind of demonstrated to them, okay, here's the kind of person I am. Here's how I respond to my weaknesses and that will make it feel like a safer environment for them to share. Right. 
I used to I used to think that one way to do this was to just start off with people when you're when you're beginning your relationship and when you're working with them or you know maybe it's not a working relationship it's just a regular relationship to say can we have a conversation about this about how we interact with one another and how we do feedback and how I might tell you about things I think you do good and well and things that I think you can improve in and vice versa. And uh, I've tried that out a number of times, said to people, you know, I like to hear and explain to them from my side. Yes. Tell me, be transparent. Give me, give me all the feedback in the world. What about you? What do you, what do you want? And I've had people say exactly the same thing. I want, you know, don't hold anything back. And I've had that bite me in the butt where the person didn't really, you know, they maybe said it and maybe in the moment they really meant it. But then when, <laughs> when the rubber meets the road and you really give them something that's tough for them to come to terms with, uh, I've had that really go sideways on me. So it, not that it's not, I would discourage someone from having that conversation because that's always good. But I think that there's still more to be done in addition to simply having the conversation and, and sh- you know, leading by example, I think is what I was trying to explain in terms of what I did, showing that vulnerability out, putting that vulnerability out there, showing people that you're not just trying to always make yourself want to be seen in the best light and seem in, seem like you're perfect. You never make any mistakes, but that helps other people say, okay, he did it. I can, do, I can certainly give him feedback because he bared his soul for all of us. And if nothing else, at least I can, I know that I can have that interaction with, with John. And he's not, like you said, going to blow up or overreact or he's going to be very accepting of that. And maybe that starts to help other people bring their barriers down, maybe bring their ego down if that's what it is or whatever that is. That's, that's holding them back. I guess uh, sort of um, from, from the pers- evolutionary perspective, it makes sense, I guess, that we as beings want to sort of hide our weaknesses from others. Because like you said earlier, Micah, that's something that my coworkers, my peers might hold against me or be able to use against me in the future, especially in any sort of a competitive environment. If somebody, I'm a basketball mm-hmm. player and the other team realizes I can't dribble with my left hand, (laughs) you know, all day long, they're going to be forcing me to try to dribble to the left hand side of the court. So it makes sense to, to hide that. Um, but it doesn't when I, when it, when you're around people that are interested in your good, right. In your success as well. Yeah. Teammates. Yeah. All right. Let's pause there. Well, Micah, that just about wraps up uh, our conversation today. Why don't we finish up by providing a little advice to the listeners for how they might uh, use some of this in the real world. I think my advice is a bit of what we already talked about um, in terms of, and you're asking me, what have I seen that works well uh, for getting people to be honest and transparent with you about, about feedback. And I'll just go, I'll just go back to and say that my advice is to, is to lead by example, to have that, uh, intestinal fortitude to be the first person who's willing to step up and say, I, I failed. I did something wrong. I made a mistake and then own that in a, in a level headed manner so that you don't scare people off and then use that as, as a, an example and an opportunity to invite others to give you advice and to give you feedback and to 
um, give you criticism in a good way that can help you. And I think that that's really my advice to people to try and live this out is to just lead by example. What advice do you have for the listeners, Micah? So I think my advice is um, just tied to this idea of root causes and proximate causes. I think it's maybe helpful to recognize that addressing a problem might require addressing both the root cause and the proximate cause, at least for a while. So if we think about the train situation where that person's forgetful, you might think, oh, well, the root cause is the person's forgetfulness. So we're just going to focus on that. But, you know, and Ray talks about this, how, you know, addressing a character issue can take a while to fix. And so if you proceeded normally, except for the fact that we focused on or you were focused on fixing that person's forgetfulness or your own forgetfulness, until that forgetfulness is fixed, you're going to continue to miss the train and that's going to be a problem. So it might be that, well, for a while, right, until the root cause is fixed, you may also have a guardrail of addressing that proximate cause. And so it might be the reminder on your phone to check the train schedule. So just because we do focus on the most important thing to fix is the root cause, just recognize that you may also need to address the proximate cause in the meantime. That's great advice. And we see that we see that all the time in medicine, don't we? Because uh, you, you might have a, a really bad illness and the doctor won't tell you, oh, you know, it's going to take us nine months to uh, eight, six, seven months to, to cure your illness. And in the meantime, just suffer. Uh-huh. Just deal with the pain. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, okay, we'll, we'll put a Band-Aid on it. We'll, we'll help treat the symptoms, mm-hmm. but ultimately still focused on solving the root cause. Right. That disease. Yeah. And it brings us back to the question of, okay, what course of action is going to provide the most benefit overall? All right. Now, next time we'll be back with mid-level principle 2.4 that says design a plan. Thanks, Micah. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening. Let's keep the conversation going on our subreddit, Dalio's Principles at reddit.com. The subreddit is Dalio's Principles, all one word. Join us to interact with a community of like-minded individuals. 